This is Iron Mike Stedman, and as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, Dog Whistle Brandon. On today's show, Bill and I are joined by Navy veteran David Hunt, founder of Crossrope, a fitness company that sells weighted jump ropes to help users pursue their fitness goals. Founded in 2012, David bootstrapped Crossrope into the Inc. 500's fastest growing companies and best places to work. Needless to say, he knows what it takes to build a brand from the ground up and drive revenue through online sales. Over the last few months, I've been working with a lot of e-commerce brands at Ironbound Media, so I've been anxiously waiting to get David on to learn what it takes to go from zero to one. On the show, David shares how he transitioned from selling his jump ropes at in-person fitness pop-ups to predominantly online sales and the reality of the ever-adapting e-commerce environment. This is definitely an episode where you're going to want to pause and take some notes, especially when he starts talking about category expansion and how Crossroad began entering new verticals to grow their market. This is another fantastic episode with tons of value from someone in the trenches who knows what it takes to win. All right, Gunny, I've been talking too long. Get them ready. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. Welcome to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride, where we provide weekly tech planning on marketing, brand strategy, and category design for early and growth stage veteran-owned small businesses to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, a Marine Corps veteran, godfather of Dog Whistle Branding, and CEO of Ironbound Media, a podcast production agency that helps veteran-owned businesses create, distribute, and grow branded podcasts in order to engage with your ideal audience. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com, to stay up to date on all things DWB and our work at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load, Dave and Bill. As always, welcome to Dog Whistle Branding. Appreciate it, Mike. Awesome to be on. So I'm fired up today, Bill, because mm-hmm. I've been following Dave online maybe since like 2017 or so when we connected yep. on LinkedIn. Yep. And then I went out to the military veteran startup conference and we just kind of had a bromance session out there in the corner. We were just chopping it, it up for literally like an hour. And dude, Dave, I think you're going to bring tons of value to our audience because here's why. For the past few episodes, Bill and I have been riffing on hustle porn, huh. you know, veteran entrepreneurs get out they grab the four-hour work week and god knows what else and they're like i'm the entrepreneur meanwhile guys like dave are behind the scenes Mm. just building real businesses never hear about them right you see them on linkedin like god dang what the heck and then you run into them at a conference and you're like literally like print money like successful business scaled it bootstrapped it did all that and so, man, I'm just excited to have you on here to learn a little bit more about your story mm. and uh, provide some value to our listeners. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. No, I mean, for sure. It's I really enjoyed that <laughs> conference because, as I'd mentioned before, you uh, follow people, you end up in these circles and you never know when you're going to cross paths again. And sort of like the bromance thing that you mentioned, I remember we were grabbing drinks, talking about stuff. Uh, lots of good people there, lots of cool ideas and uh, mm-hmm. really appreciate what you're doing with Dog Whistle. I even, I don't know if I told you at the conference, but I like the name because it really is about <laughs> kind of finding that right frequency that's going to reach the right people. Otherwise, if you go too wide, never going to work. 
So give us a quick overview of Crossroads, where you are now. And then I want to go back and talk about like how you identified the market opportunity. Because that's one thing I've been teaching a lot of the entrepreneurs I come across is like, are you spending enough time being deliberate about the market you're choosing and mm. determining whether or not there's demand there? Or are you trying to kick up dirt and create demand that doesn't exist yet? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I we like to find sort of these binary uh, outcomes or frameworks because it's just easier, right? We should be doing this or we should be doing this. And my experience in the ten past in the past ten years has been that that both are true simultaneously, and you have to think about how you're using your time and resources to um, really determine which of those you want to focus more on. So let me I'll share a little bit more specifically what I mean by that. Crossup was started ten years ago um, in in 2012, so it's kind of one of those. Um, you know, 10 year overnight successes because, you know, nobody had heard about it and it takes a while and you got to do the grind. And in those early days, this was really a better mouse trap for me because I loved jump rope fitness and felt that there could be better, uh, you know, a better uh, version of it out there that I could engineer. And at that stage of the business, it was not about market scoping and finding the exact right sort of people and dialing it in. It was more about how can I go out, pound the pavement, go to the places where I think I might find the kind of customers that would like something like this and essentially throw as many darts against the wall as possible. And in honesty, it took probably probably three to four years before you start to figure out which, you know, at least in my case, which are the real core areas of focus. And so over the past five or six years, what that turned out to be for us was primarily uh, direct to consumer through our website, home fitness, um, oh. which was not obvious at the outset. It could have been clubs. It could have been universities. It could have been pro athletes and fighters. Um, but really it's been, you know, home and portable fitness, which has been the sweet spot and where we focused a lot of our energy. And what, what I'm fascinated by about that is right. Selling jump ropes, right? You got to sell mm. a lot of jump ropes. I'd assume, you know, mm. to cover a staff, you know, pay yourself what you're worth, you know, medical, all that kind of stuff. And that's a really hard business. We talk about direct to consumer, but it sounds like you found like a really tight niche with the home fitness. And Bill, one thing I want you to expand upon, did you hear what Dave said? He's like, I actually like jump ropes. Yeah. You know, and me and you were talking about the category pirates newsletter <clears throat> about founder product fit. Like, yep. this, are you the founder to bring this product to market? Instead right. of like, oh, I just see this great opportunity. I'm going to go take advantage of it but I bring no agency to the space and I have no idea where to look for customers. Totally agree with that. Uh, there's a, a definite advantage to a veteran entrepreneur, any entrepreneur, but let's focus on our, our sweet spot here, our veteran entrepreneurs who have experienced the need for uh, a particular product or a service. I, I met uh, with, with a guy named Matt the other day whose father suffered from uh, it was a dementia. I could have been Alzheimer's, but uh, he then and uh, and his father passed away. He went and so he has a genetic disposition for this particular disease. He sold his company uh, uh, to do a raise, a Series A round, or it was friends and family, or a seed round, or something, so that he could spearhead a particular product that he believes will help with Alzheimer's, and. 
uh, he was very passionate about it when I was talking to him. And so I think there's a great advantage. It's the founding of the Lions Pride. You know, the Lions Pride comes from I did everything wrong. Well, shame on me, but I didn't know any better. So I wanted to provide a resource for veterans to go and find the easier, faster, better way. I have a personal investment in remembering all the near catastrophes that I led myself into. And I don't want people to do that. So I think what's powerful about Dave's story is, you know, I think, Dave, you had an injury or something like that. You were rehabilitating. And then you're, you're like, I can do better than this. Like this is what's out there. And then you, you went off and you did it. That's spot on. I mean, it was even a joke during the first year of the development that even if this never became a viable business, at the very least, I would have an awesome fitness product for the rest of my life that I could use. Right. And that was genuinely the case Yeah, because you're afraid of, um, you know, I think a lot of people, myself included, you're, you're afraid of failure. And so you need to find sometimes, and that's normal, that's natural, right? You know, but you need to find sometimes the sort of, uh, you know, backup motivating elements. And for me, that was a real one, right? Like, hey, what's the worst that can happen on this uh, if it doesn't work out? For me, it was still a great outcome of having a jump rope system that that I would use all the time. And I I still use it to this day, like a kid in a candy store with the developments and the new products and all that other stuff. I've had people ask me if I use my product and I'm like, yes, I do use my product quite a bit and I love it and I'm always trying to make it better. Yeah, it's one of the, you said something that's very insightful. I, I just did a uh, LinkedIn uh, post. I was sharing my my $20 million mistake uh, when I had to make a big decision and and I made the, the wrong one. And it's because I didn't have a framework uh, for making the decision. I created this tool that I shared on LinkedIn. And um, one of the things in that, Dave, that you just said is, what's the worst thing that can happen? And oftentimes we, the, uh, a couple of things never happen or, or happen. One, we never think about the worst case that can happen. We just go forward or we have fear, but we don't know what we're fearful of. It's kind of like your, your child. I, I think you said you have three kids, you know, they're afraid of the dark. Well, what are you afraid of? But they're imagining things in the dark that probably aren't there. So you're imagining that. Number two, you're imagining they're going to be worse than they are. I remember when I started my first company, I was afraid of bankruptcy for my family. My attorney said, it ain't that bad. He said, that sucks. But here's what we'll do. That, 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 that. And then I kind of knew. And so you obviously were thinking, I hate failure. I don't fail missions. I might fail this mission. What's the worst that can happen? Obviously, the conclusion was it wasn't that bad and you went forward. That's right. (laughs) Boom. One of the things I want to expand upon, right, when you're going to market, right, like you said, you throw a bunch of darts at the wall, then you hit. And I have been coaching uh, my clients that are, um, they're having e-commerce brands, right? And I am saying that, like, you know, if you build it, doesn't mean they're coming. Yes, that's so true. You need to build some awareness with the intent of driving that traffic to your website because most entrepreneurs, they want to make their money through their website. They're tired of doing pop-ups. They're tired of doing direct sales. But as I'm sure all three of us know, right, you got to sell. And so talk to us about, you know, when you said, oh, you just kind of went out and started talking to people, like who were those initial customers you were talking Mm. to and Mm. who did you in on? And at what point did you say, okay, I'm bringing in enough awareness that I don't have to sell as hard and we could drive a lot of our traffic through the website? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
And I, I, I'm happy to get granular. I think sometimes it's useful to go into the details, right? Yeah, People can speak totally. in broad generalities, but when Whatever. you get specific, I know. Um, you know, so so first of all, the the early days um, when you are doing the grinding and the cold solicitations and things like that, mm. um, I don't like doing that stuff. It sucks. It was not fun. I remember in particular, I think three months after launch. When, oh, by the way, launch wasn't as grand as I thought launch would be. It, it rarely ever is. You think it's going to be like a hockey stick. And um, I drove, I was in Jacksonville, Florida at the time. I was still active duty Navy at VP30. And I drove with my wife. We dropped off our newborn at my wife's aunt's house. Drove um, four hours down to West Palm Beach to set up a, a small little tent at... Um, a 50 person CrossFit competition and it rained and I sold two ropes the entire time and mm. spent more on gas than, than rope revenues. Like now I'm, I'm talking about profits and time and all this and all that. And it's very, very demoralizing to have instances. And so there was, oh, there was time after time again, where it's like, all right, what, what is going to be worth the time, effort and energy? And you're sort of saying, I'll hit the I believe button for now, but when do you have to get honest with yourself that that this might not be the channel or the or the mechanism for it? So it's kind of like when you watch the Shark Tank versions and Mr. Wonderful says, you got to take that out behind the shed and shoot it because, and, and some people hold on to things for way too long. And so my methodology was just on, on you know, throwing the darts, where was there some traction, right? So some of the local competitions that weren't a four hour drive that had more people that was through, um, you know, a, a gym owner that I had a relationship with and would kind of support us, those would be mm. worthwhile, you know, sell a couple hundred bucks of ropes. And so we try to find ones that uh, were efficient like that. Um, yeah. I was introduced through a Navy friend to a very inexpensive PR firm at the outset. And the product was just novel enough, just different on this idea of like an interchangeable system that we got some good PR hits early on. And what mm. I'll tell you about the PR hits is that they were good enough to actually drive sales and give the validation that there was a market for this, but they were also never good enough to really create the sustainable scale of the business. So mm. like in the first six months, we got into Men's Journal, Men's Health, Shape Magazine. Nice. There was a customer who worked for ESPN, the magazine. This is when I thought I had made it. And then I'll pause if you've got more questions. I thought I'd made it, right? It was four months into the business. Guy reaches out, says, I'm in. A, I'm a senior ad sales manager for ESPN, the magazine. Love your product. Um, I'd like to give you some free ad space in an upcoming magazine. And I'm thinking like, this sounds too good to be true. You know, yeah, whatever, what's, yeah. what's the pitch? So we get um, a quarter space ad. And he wasn't kidding. Like, the, I guess the media value of the ad was like $4,000. And I remember it was next to like Mark Wahlberg had just launched a protein Uh it was uh, Sun Chips had a little ad there, Visine. I, I, it was such a big deal. I remember all the ads. And the circulation of the magazine at the time was 14 million people. So what do you start doing? I'm a numbers guy. I'm a math guy. You start saying, okay, well, how, let, let's just run some numbers here. Let's say, you know, 1% of people see the ad, you know, and so now you got like 140,000 people that see the ad and then of them, Maybe, you know, like 5% go to the website. So basically, I had sort of mathematically figured out how this was going to sell a million, you know, dollars of ropes. Well, guess what? 
sold uh, 12 sets. <laughs> 14 million people sold 12 sets. But here, here's what's interesting about that, right? Like that was not a sign that this wasn't a viable business. That wow. was a sign that you don't know where things are going to hit and where things aren't going to hit. Mm. And so it was really probably about three or four years until there was enough real momentum online for that to be our, our core channel. And, and happy to talk about anything more there that you'd like to dig into. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's great insight. And I'll tell you, when I joined Alliance Pride, I had been on like Fox News like three times, Dave. I had made the media circuit. Man, I had about $300 in the bank account. You know? <laughs> yeah. so, I, I good, though. You look sharp, though. You were very sharp, sharp looking. All my classmates are like, man, Mike, we see everything with Iron Bell. Behind Killing the scenes, it. I'm like, man, I can't even register my gym with USA Boxing. So yeah, yeah. I call that stuff vanity metrics now. Like that stuff that looks good, the metal right. on the chest. Everybody says you're a winner. But yeah. now I'm like, I'm more like, are we making real impact? Are we driving donations? Are we putting money in the bank account of our small business, et cetera? Mm. I appreciate you sharing insight um, around that. And that demoralizing story is real. Sitting yeah. there, getting rained on, and being like, yo, is this really like what business is? Yeah. I used to travel. So uh, back in the mid-90s, I had this product. I sold it to uh, – in the. I started with a medical business, and I, I called on surgeons, hospital purchasing agents, and all that. I had two little babies – at home, cul-de-sac. I'd quit my job. I was burning through my 401k. And I remember dressing up like a big pharma salesperson and calling on traveling around the country, burning cash that I didn't have and waiting in waiting rooms and not being seen. Or, or I would get in. Purchasing agent would feel sorry for the old dog sitting out in the waiting room. Yes, I'll see you. Oh, well, we're happy with our vendor. Send us a proposal, you know. Got nowhere, got nowhere. But finally, what I heard from you, Dave, that eventually I figured out probably a lot slower than you did is you began to dial in more and more and more your perfect customer and your perfect language. I'm interested in the shift because there you were calling on people who did not respond. You're wet. You don't, you still have jump ropes in your car. You don't have any money. And then slowly you started to really get some traction. How, what was the pivot? I think there was two things. Um, I mean, there was many things. Uh, I wish it was as simple as two things, but I think uh, I'll, I'll share some context on what I think was one of the most pivotal moments. So I, I started working on uh, the prototypes and setting up the website and the launch from 2011 to 2012. So it was a year to kind of like launch. Um, Amidst the very challenging stories and the failures, I want to be clear. So like the product was selling, you know, in the first seven months in business, mm. I sold $53,000 of jump ropes. I remember going into my CPA saying like, you know, the IRS is going to call this a hobby in a couple of years. And I'm like, screw you, dude. Like I sold $53,000 of jump ropes. I have no idea what I'm doing. And so even in the, you know, concurrent next couple of years, while I was still in the Navy, the sales were growing, right? And it was it was across efforts. But it was 2016 that I think was a real turning point because I was preparing to get out of full-time, um, you know, my full-time Navy job to do this, um, you know, with without any supplemental income. My wife wasn't working. You know, I didn't have some sort of big nest egg, didn't have any funding, didn't have a huge amount of savings. Yeah. And in 2016, the first quarter, our year-on-year -year sales were actually down 25% from 2015. 
Gulp. And I remember a business coach saying like, well, you've learned a lot from this and, but you got to put food on the table and you know, you, this may or may not be the thing. And you know what? He wasn't wrong, but it also lit a little bit of a fire. And so for me, there was, there was two things. First of all, um, just getting a professionalized um, system and mechanism in place for looking at the right metrics, which helped with the right messaging. So that was when we yeah. had implemented EOS. There's all sorts of different, you know, business programs and, and formats that can work, but having something that you standardize and that you're consistent with, I think is important because it helped us to focus on some of the key metrics, which for us is obvious as it may sound was traffic. And when we focused on traffic and the initiatives that we were using to drive traffic, it created this insight that we were getting really a lot of juice out of finding the right online partners to represent our product. And so I started going on YouTube and reaching out to anybody that I could possibly find that was using jump ropes. And I found these two guys that actually had been using Crossrope for five months, had good things to say about it. And I hadn't even realized it and hadn't reached out. Yeah. Uh, at the time, they had about a thousand subscribers on their YouTube channel. And we um, got into a, an affiliate-based partnership. Mm. And since that point in time in 2016, um, they've grown to 1.3 million subscribers. Yeah, and um, And have been great partners, have been really strong advocates and has made it clear to us that finding uh, the right partnerships that are delivering content outside of the content that we're creating um, is the right strategy as opposed to distributors, retail, clubs, right. gyms. It's not that we're not going to do that and we haven't had some successes. It's just that it's a lot harder because you have to win the hearts and minds of the decision makers and the buyers. And if you have the right partners, it really helps in the direct-to-consumer space. I want to break that down for our audience. Okay. Mm, so what you identified important. was a Trojan horse, these micro influencers, and you got in early versus somebody that's already established, whatever. So you actually had an opportunity to grow with this group of people. And what's cool about the content play is, you know, mm. who do people do business with? Mm. Purchase products from people they know, like, and trust. And trust. early on, it's hard for us to, have trust, right? Because nobody knows who we are. We're just going to market. But what you can do is you can borrow trust. And guess what? That video creator that people are going to time and time again, they have an inherent trust there. So when they start seeing them use a certain product, it gives them confidence to say, hey, this must work because the authority I go to uses it. Therefore, I feel confident to use it myself. Mm. Yep. It's a great, you know, another thing too, it's a great litmus test. So when we were looking at it, when we had partnered up with these guys, um, you know, first of all, it, it, it's pretty much expected that I think consumers are skeptical of, you know, influencers and paid sponsorships and things like that. But totally in my experience, for the most part, um, really more and more of those content creators are really only want to align with the products that they really like and that they really use. And it also mm. helps them deliver the messaging better. Yeah. So with with these guys, when they were evaluating whether or not they wanted to enter a partnership over the longer term, they actually sent out a survey to their entire list of customers that had our product yeah. on how they what their experience was and how they'd review and score it. And they came back to us and said, yeah, we didn't kind of know if we wanted to go our own direction and kind of create our own product and partner up with somebody else. But um, the average score that our um, followers gave for your product was a nine point five mm. out of ten. And mm. so we, we feel like we can really get behind the brand and really support it. And so that's, I, I think, 
you know, a good takeaway for people as they're looking for these opportunities is if, if you're having a hard time partnering up with, with people and, and they're not really into the product and they're not passionate and they're not authentic about it, that's a good litmus test that you might yeah. not be quite where you need to be. If you can get people that you're still going to pay them, you can't expect for stuff for free because they're delivering great value, but right. th- they need to really believe and think that your product is great. And so we've, we've looked for as many of those sorts of relationships as possible and then continue to improve off of that. How do you balance with like an e-commerce brand? I know, like you said, you're getting traffic. That was the thing you were measuring. But I am not, I tell my clients, I'm not the guy that's going to come up and brief you and say, these are the number of clicks and impressions we got. And you got the row ads and all that mm, stuff. Mm, so mm. there's this like, oh, we need to run these ads. But at the same time, here you are being scrappy, reaching out directly to influencers. And then something like this, these, this pair of guys doing jump ropes tends to be the biggest ROI. Versus all this other stuff that these digital marketers promise you. So how do you advise our listeners to balance that, right? Like the running ads and all this other stuff. But hey, man, you still got to get scrappy and you got to go create these channel partners. You got to create these business relationships. Yeah, it's really, really important. I see a lot of people get it wrong. So I'll I'll share from experience. Um, The problem is, is that a lot of times when you're um, a a newer brand with a newer product, um, you... First of all, you can only afford the agencies that are also newer and less experienced, right? And so what happens is that you everybody is well-intended, right? So you get somebody that's fired up and excited about marketing and, you know, and promoting and you have certain expectations about what they will or will not be able to do and they have a vested interest in telling you what they're going to be able to do. But the brutal fact of reality is that nobody's going to be able to figure out how to sell your product besides you Mm. and your team, right? And so what will happen is people will say, hey, you're the marketing expert. Go figure out how to sell this on the platform and get the clicks and the CPMs and optimize this and tell me and so on and Mm. so forth. And everybody goes out and they try and they spend a lot of money and it pretty much never works. And then the the, the founders upset at the marketing company like, oh, they told me they were going to be able to do these things. But it's, it's almost one of those like nobody was wrong. Just nobody knew the right way to do it. So my, my perspective on it is that, first of all, in with very, very rare instances, there is no like hack or system or mechanism where you just go do it on social media. You know, I, I remember hearing people talk like, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna go do social media and then it'll sell. Like if you haven't figured out how people are gonna buy it or why they're gonna buy it, you can't slap up an ad and think that it's going to work. It just doesn't work that way. You know, Mm -hmm. there's different layers of the sales funnel and you got to drive awareness and you need the relationships. And, and also it's very, very, this, this also a quick segue is the most difficult time in history to, to be leading with a paid media strategy because it's so much more expensive than it was even two years ago. And I don't want to say that in a sort of a discouraging way, because, you know, there's always opportunities to get creative on how to find your customer but Tough. Facebook and Google, for example, are you know two to three times more expensive than they were a couple of years ago. And so um, what I would say is that it's important to figure out who you can partner up with, mm. what type of content you can create that creates some sort of authentic value that people care about. Yep. And then think about the social media as the amplification mechanism for it. That's, totally. That, 
that's really all it is, right? It's just if, if you figure out what's already working, they're great for driving the awareness and amplify it. But it's not it's not the solution. It's just the mechanism. Um, and so a lot of people think that it is the solution. They spend all the money and then, you know, it's, it's just no not going to work at all. And I, I certainly learned that the hard way at the beginning. And, and, and by the way, it's just not easy. I mean, even now, 10 years into business, we're always tinkering. We're right. shifting our spend over from Facebook and Google to TikTok right now. We're looking more and more at the paid influencers because it works great. But guess what? Yep. It's really time consuming and hard to do. So hopefully there's some useful nuggets in there. But don't go out, hire a fancy agency, spend a lot of money and expect that you're going to be able to sell your thing. I'm a fan of what I call the Rube Goldberg machine when it comes to B2C. So it's a combination of uh, paid ads. It's a combination of email. I'm a fan of Klaviyo. And it's a combination of really badass SEO, which generates organic traffic. And I think, Dave, um, especially with the privacy changes that happened, I think it was in 2020, um, where or maybe it was in 21 where everybody changed their privacy and we couldn't track people as much paid ads became very difficult, very expensive. And for those people who depended on paid ads as their single source of revenue generation, they're in trouble. They never built, it was kind of like crack cocaine. They never had to build a Clavio or email campaign or system. They never had to build out their SEO because they had what they needed. I think what you've done is you've realized that there's a total system in there. The, this machine of which you pivot back and forth as, uh, in a dynamic way to fuel your lead gen or maybe your sales on paid ads, but then maybe you work your affiliates or your email list and you're generating value uh, at the highest ROI possible. Agencies are usually not going to tell you to build the machine because they're a specialist in one of those things. Yeah. I'm going to pick on Bill here. Bill, tell our listeners about your I experience. love people to pick on me. <laughs> tell people about our, your experience with uh, Facebook ads <laughs> with the line. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, just look at my balance sheet on how much money uh, the company owes me because I was funding um, like negative ROI on ads. Uh, the lesson here, one, is we did have a good uh, paid ad specialist, Dave. But what we did not have... Uh, and this was back when paid ads was a little easier. Uh, but Dave, we were hunting for our so-called ideal, uh, our perfect customer on Facebook and Facebook and Instagram. And they were not there to connect with us. LinkedIn was the place, but I did not hire a social media. I hired a Facebook expert. And so she kept saying, well, we got to do this. We got to do that. She was in that world as opposed to pulling back and saying, hey, you guys should be on LinkedIn. So yep. Dave, this company owes me so much money personally because I started <laughs> with my own personal capital. And that is Bill's one of Bill's many big mistakes with a lot of zeros uh, before the decimal point. Sure. Well, I mean, nobody can feel bad about that. I mean, you know, everybody, you know, there, it's all wins and losses. And I think another thing is that along this marketing mix, um, it, it changes, right? It's it, it, The mm -hmm. illusion is that you're going to figure it out mm -mm. and then you go. And guess what? It changes and it changes all the time. And you have to be yeah. constantly improving and testing and doing different things. I'll say, you know, like, as we started to understand, you know, as we got to a certain threshold of paid capacity, and as we had enough understanding around 
you know, how we want to direct our creative, we do use domain specific agencies and we Mm. do feel like they provide value. We have an internal understanding of how to do it, but it's on a case by case basis and it changes and Mm. it shifts as we go along. And so I think the, the, the interesting thing to your point, we we use Klaviyo as well. Klaviyo is great. We use uh, attentive for SMS. So SMS is a really interesting up and coming, I think, channel. Um, you know, we, yep. we have, I think that the, the point that you made about Facebook, if you are focusing on online is the more you can, you know, diversify, the more you can diversify where your traffic and where your sales are coming from, the more you're de-risking it. Cause many, you know, we have, we sell on Amazon, we advertise through Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and it's, it's pretty well spread across these platforms. We've done a lot of effort on SEO. So we get great organic traffic to a variety of our content based articles. And so when these things happen around, you know, iOS 14 with the privacy thing on Facebook around GDPR with the email um, and and things like that. Yeah, it's not great. And you have to readjust, but you're not, you know, you're not going bankrupt in two days because all of a sudden you have no channel at all. But that did happen to a lot of people in uh, February and March of twenty one. Yep, they, exactly. they got caught flat footed because they were they were in Golden Land. They were printing money, and then all of a sudden the money printing machine broke, and you couldn't get the parts to it. Yep, and they were in big old trouble. And I think now, you know, it sounds like you know numbers and engineering and stuff. You understand now. There's a systemic. There's a system. Um, that has to be built that depends on multiple inputs and outputs, especially when you're going B2C. B2B is different animal to a certain extent, uh, but B2C for sure. Now, with B2C, though, uh, you're supplementing that, as I heard, with uh, retail, uh, gyms, distributors, and things like that. So could you talk to that? You could go cold turkey on 100% B2C, but you're choosing some sort of um, a distribution of the two. So how do you how do you justify your efforts with retail, distribution, wholesalers, and all that? And why not just go 100% B2C? That is an awesome question. Uh, and I've got some pretty strong opinions on it. So, Good. Um, you know, the, the plan for for as long as possible was to say, stay exclusively direct to consumer through our site with Amazon and then kind of having some pocketed um, partners overseas to help with some of the international piece of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I would say probably seven, eight years ago, the idea of the vertically native direct to consumer brand is the gold mine and entrepreneurship was sort of put up on this pedestal, right? So you think about, um, all of these brands that we've come to, you know, to know and love. It's probably started with Casper as one of the big ones. Like who would have thought? And if you think you go to all of these websites and it would just be like, um, we cut out the middleman, right? So we give you this great value because we source all of these amazing materials and then we ship it to you and it's wonderful. And you're paying less than you would in a store because this is all the the players that distribute it. And so everybody kind of went all into this. And then, mm. you know, all of these big direct to consumer companies became VC funded growth at all costs so that they get, could get the growth based multiples either to get some big strategic acquisition or to get to IPO. And, um, you know, what happened is all the valuations of these were based on false premises around the, the customer acquisition lifetime value arbitrage. 
So the whole idea was, here's what it costs us to acquire a customer. Here's what we're modeling is going to be the lifetime value. So here's right. the net present value of what the company is going to be worth. And we're yep. growing this fast and so on and so forth. And then somebody said, wait a second, how many mattresses do people need to buy? <laughs> and then and then they said, hey, Casper, let's look at your financials. And, and then the big article came out that for every mattress that Casper sold, I'm not picking on the company, but I'm just yeah. saying, this was like kind of like, this oh, is there's a first, lot of hocus pocus out there, bro. Well, I'm glad you're pulling focused. the curtain back. Like, it, 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 all the news articles came out that for every thousand dollar mattress that Casper sold, they were losing three hundred and seven dollars. And so, you know, then then you look at um, Warby Parker. Like I've seen some of these recently. These are amazing consumer brands. So you look at Warby Parker. So their, called. their net quarterly loss. They had a forty five percent net loss. Like, come on. You know, and 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 it's, you look at uh, Allbirds, great, you know, amazing, you know, digitally yep. native uh, brand. So, the reason why I share this is not to kind of like bash these companies. What's been coming out more and more recently is like this this gold mine of this digitally native e-commerce company has has been like has been a nightmare, right? Yeah. Because what's happened is like the cost of customer acquisition is insanely high right now for yeah. any company for any brand. And now all of a sudden, so, so this gets into like the retail and the club. Now all of a sudden you didn't want to give up margin to retail. And you yeah. say, wait a second, I have zero customer acquisition costs because you're getting the customer for me. I'll give up all the margin that you want because yeah. it's a lot less than it's costing to acquire a customer right now, sure. depending on the nature of the brand. So, so all of that said, look, we can still efficiently acquire customers online. I think we're doing a great job. That will continue to be a core part of the strategy. Are you? We, we've got um, an app that we've been successful with on the recurring revenue side as we're building that out. So that helps out with customer lifetime value. Yep. But the nuts and bolts of it is that a lot of the consumer-based companies right now that are in retail as you know, post-COVID, it's gotten so much more competitive and challenging. And as people are out and about and want these experiential purchasing experiences, they're doing a lot better. And even if you look at the breakdown of the financials of the companies that have a big e-com and uh, brick and mortar business, the brick and mortar part of it is is always, in all the cases that I've seen, more profitable than the e-commerce side of it. Um, and you, you just get more mileage out of your ads, right? Right now, you put an ad on Facebook and the only choice they have is to come to your site or to go online. But if you're are in four different retailers, um, you know, you're just getting more mileage out of that ad because they might've seen it on their phone while they're waiting in line. And then they drop by and pick up a cross rope on their way out. Bill, Mike, you see I'm going I'm, I'm to say, you see why I was hanging out with Dave at the conference, yeah. right? I'm like, this guy has got it. I would have opened a tab and just let him drink to his heart's content at the bar. <laughs> Hey, hey, I, 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 I've always made this joke that I, I like to feel that I have learned a lot and I'm mm. happy to share it. Um, yeah. But I also say that they're experienced shares, right? And for anybody listening, mm. like this isn't set advice necessarily on what mm. specifically you should do. I've found that sometimes you hear these stories and it may be contextually relevant to what it is. And so, um, right. and I say that, you know, the experience versus the advice, because Guys, I'm still learning. Like right. no, nobody's got it figured it out. You know, we all no. we're all learning as we go along, and um, you know things are changing so rapidly, and and that's the biggest thing that I think keeps us all humble. At least at least in my case. Uh, Mike, what I what I wrote down over here is uh, when we I think it was offline, but uh, we shared with Dave that we're not fans of hustle porn. 
you know, like telling you the obvious and just so you get likes and shares, you know, the put out a hundred pieces of content, who cares how valuable they are? Just put out a hundred pieces of content. Oh, I hate that crap. I just wrote down Silicon Valley porn. Here's what Silicon Valley porn is. It's exactly what Dave just said. Warby Parker. Hey, look at us. Casper Mattress. Look at me. I'm the CEO. I'm killing it. And so I always tell Mike when I go to a networking conference and I'm not this mean to people, but sometimes they, they irk me and they say how great they're doing. And I say, great. Uh, what's your profit? How much did you pay yourself last year? Oh, 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 oh what, 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 the, you know, and, and we find out that the, 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 the big Oz behind the curtain is actually a little man with a dog biting his ankle. And so here we go. We military veterans coming back to you listeners, Wanting to launch our business or wanting to grow our business, thinking that we should connect with all the famous Silicon Valley VCs, entrepreneurs, CEOs, telling us what they think we should be doing. And what we don't know is they're really not doing it. In their world, they are. They're, they're spinning up a company and then they're going to sell it to the, to the next person who thinks that they're getting a deal. But what what we don't know is that when Dave pulls the curtain back and says, oh, yeah, Casper CEO, wait a minute. So for every thousand dollar mattress you sell, you lose three hundred seventy dollars, bro. How does that how does that? Well, I have VC capital to cover my losses. Well, guess what? Dave, Iron Mike and me, we don't. We're just like you. We got a bank account and we depend on it to pay the bills. And so we don't have the great VC to call and say, hey. We need another $20 million to cover our losses. And I think that's the lesson from what Dave just said. He, he gave, that was, I don't know whether that was experience or advice or whatever, but it was, that was worth every minute of listening uh, right now and all the whiskey that Iron Mike bought you at the bar. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I always appreciate the drinks. I, I think it's, it's, it's just, I think Mike, this even came up at the conference. Remember we had the panelists on there. And so Yes, there are some some huge ideas that require capital that may work out in a big way, right? Yep. Um, it, I think the you know the VC you know Silicon Valley porn that you talked about is that it impress. Somebody said this at the conference. It impresses upon people that they think that that is the only way that you can go and be successful, mm-hmm. right? And it's just it's it's just not the case. Right. And you know it's it's sort of a choice on you know, how you're mapping out what the strategy is, because because great brands and ideas can be killed that way. They can blow up big, but they can be killed. Yep. Um, we've still grown like crazy and it's been bootstrapped and we've been profitable. I, I, I think I've shared before, like it's, it's interesting, you know, the, 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 I've been fortunate that the business has been well, you know, done well enough that even for me financially, it's kind of like been a better outcome than what I might've imagined an exit would be. Right. But I'm still doing it and enjoying it. And it's like I didn't need to wait for some big liquidation event. And and it's right. it's fun and exciting and it gives you an opportunity to immerse yourself um, you know, with other entrepreneurs and say, like, like there 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 are multiple ways, right? There's not just one right way. And so um yeah. for it can be daunting if you're out there and you have this idea and you're coming out of the military and you think that you gotta go, you know, raise a crazy amount of money, like you yeah. don't necessarily have to, right? I got I one more question that. for Dave real quick. So mm. I had Randy Hetricks on the podcast yesterday, founder of TRX, Bill, right? And nice. 
one of the things that you two both have in common is that you sell expensive products. Your jump mm. ropes are like upwards of $100. So you're not Matrix, you're not a Casper selling $1,000 mattress, but like I would like to think if somebody spends $188 for a jump rope, how mm. quick do they turn around and buy in another one, right? So how do you think about that from a growth perspective of like, we've already got all these existing clients. Chances are like they're not necessarily buying a jump rope a month, but we also need to maintain some profitability. And I think for you, you've got a premium product. You're in the growth phase. And again, marketing looks a little different for you at this stage. Mm. Yeah, well, I appreciate being on again because you guys ask great questions and sometimes there's not easy answers, but it is things that I've thought about a lot, right? Mm. So um, the first thing that I'll say is that there are people that start entrepreneurship with a lot of intentionality around what the model looks like and how it's going to work and with a, you know, a lot of pedigree and experience. And um, that was not me, right? Uh, for me, I was just like, I want to make a better jump rope, right? I, I don't know anything about recurring revenue and customer lifetime value and CAC and all that other stuff. I mean, I was coming out of being a, a P3 pilot to, hey, let me uh, make some jump ropes and read some books. Um, so, so part of the reason why I share that is because, you know, you lay your bed at some point when you decide what you want to do. And it mm. sometimes isn't necessarily constructive to go back and say, oh, I wish I had started a business that was a consumable because it's not a consumable and it is a premium jump rope and it's something that we're committed to. Yes. Could we launch consumables under the brand name? You know, maybe depending on what it is and if we feel like we can differentiate. So to, to answer the first part of your question right now, the philosophy is that the overall market size for jump rope fitness is microscopically small within the fitness, health, and wellness space. And so mm -hmm. for a while, people talk about like, hey, what's the total addressable market and things of that nature. I reached out in 2012 to a sporting goods association, and the guy was nice and gave me some free uh, data on what the global jump rope sales were. Uh, in 2020, we did double the revenues as a company of what the global jump rope sales were in 2014, right? So like imagine pitching somebody like, Hey, we're going to do 200% of the total addressable market in, in eight years, right? Like that wouldn't have been a thing. So there is something to this idea of category expansion within, within a niche, right? Good point. And, and so there's a, um, there's a great book called play bigger, Yep. It talks about category expansion. And so that was what really resonated with me for years because people would always talk about like, well, what's the total market in jump rope? And we had to think about like, we have 60% of our customers aren't jump ropers, right? So like, we're not just selling to the jump rope market. We're selling to people. Like we validated this idea that the market is bigger than the jump rope market. So to that end, um, given that it largely is a one-time purchase, it's really about reaching as large of an audience and still having an acquisition strategy while we are working on growing the paid content to mm -hmm. increase the customer lifetime value. So there's, there's a decent proportion of our revenues now in comparison to two years ago that are recurring revenues on a digital product. And so that is giving us an opportunity to increase that customer lifetime value. Um, but I think those are a couple of the different ways that I've, that I've looked at it because you're right. You know, we can't expect people, some people buy a lot of jump ropes. They do. And we have some line extensions. 
Um, but for the most part, that's just not, you know, baked into the strategy like it would be for a consumable or for like an apparel brand or something of that nature. Makes sense. Beautiful. Man, that was a freaking masterclass, Dave. This entire interview has been a masterclass. And one thing I want to say that you did Green. that Randy said was right, right, is he took on private equity for TRX. And it just, he's, I'm not going to tell you what he calls them, the uh, private equity people, because uh, it's not, like you said, Bill, our moms might be listening to this podcast. But yeah. if you're probably doing, the same thing Zach yeah. Payton calls his buyers. Yeah, but he basically said when you have that kind of market cap, right? If mm. you take out outside capital, right, it's going to be difficult for you because they do mm. want that 10x. So kudos to you for identifying that early on. And dude, yep. man, just listen to you talk. My God, I feel like I got to unpack this episode. This is a multiple listen episode, particularly his last point for our listeners about category design yes. and expansion. Because yes. you've got to be intentional about what sandbox you want to be in three, four, five years from now. And it might not look like where you're at. So with me, with Ironbound Media, yeah, I do podcasts, but I'm thinking long term about brand strategy for veteran owned businesses three to five years out. And what does that look like beyond podcasts, whether that's a newsletter, whether that's et cetera. So man, that was a million dollar insight. You need to be thinking about where you want to be three to five years from now, but at the same time, you got to execute on today. Right. hundred percent agree. So as we close out here, I want to do two things. Number one, Dave, tell our listeners how they can support and elevate you in this next phase of your journey with Crossropes. And also, I want to let Bill close us out with some final thoughts and remarks on today's episode. I mean, you've been a phenomenal guest. Hey, appreciate it. No, it's a lot of fun. I mean, anybody that'll listen to me talk, I'll I'll talk. Uh, and I think I think Mike, I think we even had a, a good conversation probably four or five years ago was the first time we connected. So I'm so glad we ran into each other at the conference. And thanks for having me on the show. Um, you know, ways people can support. Uh, you know, well, first of all, I mean, if, if, if anybody is interested in jump rope fitness, check out crossrope.com. And you mentioned, yes, it, it's a higher price point. All of our reviews are valid. And so I always say when people give five star reviews, they're giving a five star review for the price that they paid. So at least our customers think that it's worth it. We pack a ton of value. It's not just a jump rope. It is a jump rope system. We have a free and a paid version of the app that just makes it super easy. Even if you've got another fitness routine. This is, you can do a 15 minute at home between your meetings. Ooh. If your kids got sporting good, you know, sports practice and you want to go out in the parking lot and take some jumps. If you're traveling, people's fitness routines fall off while they're traveling. It's like the ultimate adaptability, flexibility tool. Um, and it's really with the weighted ropes, a good, engaging, fun, full body workout. I, I do it because I've typically found cardio boring. And when you use different ropes and you mix up the workouts, it's just fun. It's fun. And that's that, that was been my passion from the outset. Um, happy to extend a code as well. So I normally only give this one via word of mouth, but CR family is 30% off anything uh, on site. Normally we don't do promos that much, but uh, I'm anybody that listens to this is kind of like in that, in that veteran group and, and happy to extend that. Um, even if you've got friends or family that might be interested in it. Uh, of course, LinkedIn Always happy to, to help connect and chat. I think as you two have seen and experienced, the entrepreneurship community and especially the veteran entrepreneur community is very pay it forward. I mean, I had so many people that have helped me out along the way. And that's that's really where you get a lot of the learning from. And so I'm always happy to reach out, connect and help how I can. And um, beyond that, just uh, 
if anybody is, you know, thinking or talking about fitness or looking for something interesting and different, if you, if you give a plug, um, I'm, I'm super grateful for it. I got to buy some of those jump ropes for Ironbound Boxing. So count on you us, do. man. We'll shoot some videos in the gym. Hopefully get some people to uh, continue to help support the Crossrope brand. Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll hook you up. Bill, you know what we're about doing, right? So our listeners spent this time tuning in. Close us out and give them some actionable takeaways from uh, today's interview with Dave. Well, first of all, I think you need to listen to this interview probably three times and break it up into chunks and take good notes. Uh, second of all, you definitely need to connect with Dave on LinkedIn. Um, he's a busy guy. He's got three beautiful children. How old are they? Nine, eight, and one. Yeah, one so, keeps me the most busy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he, he is not a man with spare time, but he does have a big heart, and I'm sure he will help you. Um, if you haven't already, sign up for uh, Iron Mike's newsletter, and of course, keep listening to this podcast. I want to close this out with something that I addressed in my LinkedIn uh, post this week uh, about my $20 million mistake. And yes, it was about $20 million. Uh, really dumb. Um, wish I had listened to advice, but I wasn't in that space back then. But Dave brought it up a couple of times. It was called sunk cost. It's keep pounding your head. Uh, I think, Dave, early on, you were talking about you were questioning whether this thing was going to work and you'd already been at it for a couple of years. And so now what's happening is your brain has sunk cost and you're like, oh, I can't give up now. I can't give up now. What, what you can do viewer is you have to find this magical place where you hit obstacles and you either turn around and give up strategic retreat. You go around them, find uh, this way to the destination uh, or you plow right through them. But don't assume uh, that your brain and, and your soul and your heart are giving you good advice. Go out, talk to somebody like Iron Mike or, or even Dave, if you can get on his calendar, bounce it off of them. Don't be frustrated. Don't keep going. Don't burn all your money like, like I did. And uh, be wise. This is a journey that is difficult, which is why most businesses go out of business, startups, but it's a sure is worth it uh, when you get to where Dave's space is. He's got a smile on his face right now because he's waking up loving what he's doing, as is right. uh, Iron Mike. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we help veteran business leaders create, distribute, and grow branded podcast series in order to engage with their ideal audience. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement for the veteran entrepreneurial community. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is also powered by the Lions Pride, a professional training and coaching company for badass founders that serves mission-driven, high-performing small business owners with at-the-ready resources, battle-tested tools, and full-service support. We're proud to support veterans and other badass business owners at every stage of growth. You can learn more and get more at thelionspride.com. Thank you.